This is episode 12 of season 5 of the Simplify and Multiply show. And today I have a very special guest, my nephew, Paul Pappy. If you are a solopreneur and want growing your business to be easier, welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show. Hosted by award-winning creative, business development expert, and tactical coach, Terry Pappy. The Simplify and Multiply Show promises to become your practical, tactical, and motivational guide to succeeding as a solopreneur. Hey there, Solo. I'm Terry Pappy, and I created Simplify and Multiply to provide you a place where you can discover how to make your business more profitable. I'm going to do this by helping you remove the complexity from marketing and business development. So if that sounds good to you, listen in. Hey, listener, I'm going to welcome you to the first nepotistic interview that I'm doing, and that's with my nephew, Paul Pappy. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show. How are you today? I'm doing well. Good morning. I don't even know if that's a word. Is that is nepotistic a word? I know nepotism is. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, I wanted to have you on this season because I believe even though you're technically not a solopreneur from the standpoint of having a very successful business and employees, which technically uh, doesn't really fall under the moniker of solopreneur. However, I think you have very strong tendencies uh, towards solopreneur and entrepreneurial thinking. And what I'd love for you to uh, expand on before we get started and talking about creativity is just kind of give the background about the work you're doing today, what your role is at SunFast, and you know, what you're kind of focused on today, uh, and then we can um, we can take it from there. Excellent. Well, um, again, my name is Paul Pappy. I'm the president of SunFast Corporation. Uh, we started 40 years ago um, as a nut and bolt house. And um, as time has moved on and we've moved with it, uh, there's a certain amount of adaptation and uh, ingenuity and uh, uncertainty, anxiety that has pushed us to figure out how we push forward in times like we're in right now. And so we've really had to open our heads up and think about the opportunities we have to serve the community around us. And uh, some of the resources that we have both nationally and internationally have been able to help us to facilitate that need in our community. So we've become something completely different than a nut and bolt house, but at the same time adopting the same principles that we've been using for years, uh, focused on our customers' need. That's awesome. So for the listener, I just want to tell you a little story. One of my first, not first memories, Mm -hmm. but early fun memories of my dad's uh, initiation of this family business, so to speak, was back in 1968, I believe, and he founded PM Fasteners, and it was outside of Philadelphia. And I can remember when I was in high school, and I think it was spring break, or I was off school for some reason, and I was bored out of my mind. And I remember my dad saying, "Hey, why don't you just come on over to to PM, and we'll uh, we'll put you to work in the warehouse." I'm like, "Okay," you know. I mean, I was just full of energy, ready to do something fun. And I went in and I remember we were working on a uh, packaging. So, you know, our warehouse was full of 
big kegs of all kinds of nuts and bolts and screws and washers and all that metal stuff. And they would get orders from manufacturers. And what they would do is they would assemble part kits. And the, 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 I guess the order that they were working on that they put me on, the line, the assembly line, <laughs> was for Hearst gear shifts. And it was this little plastic bag, and it had we had a bunch of boxes in front of us and a little tiny conveyor belt. And we had to put, you know, six hex head cap screws in, and then we had two washers, and then we had four bolts, and then we had this. And, and we all just had to count exactly those. We did it all by hand. And mm. and then it'd go down the end of the line, and then they'd seal it on the heat sealer and throw it in a big box. And that's what went out to the uh, the customer. And I had... <laughs> Had the most fun doing that stupid little assembly, but it was great. And it was kind of cool to see how the business worked from that perspective. And because, you know, as a kid, I grew up like, you know, nuts and bolts. Okay, dad goes to work and he sells nuts and bolts. I have no idea what that is, but... <laughs> But yeah, that's that was my one of my first memories of of working at PM and uh, and doing that. What was one of your first memories, Paul? Wow, uh, my first memories uh, included here is a set of gloves and a sponge, and we have toilets that need to be cleaned. <laughs> that sounds like your dad. Then we're gonna have you uh, some you know, 150 boxes of nuts and bolts and we're going to have you haul those all over the place. And <laughs> they really wanted to kind of keep me swept off into the corner because I was a bit of a loose cannon. <laughs> when yeah, I was that runs in our family, in doesn't it? It does. It does. I know. There's I room in the what... pasture for more than one black sheep. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's uh, why you and I have an affinity for each other because we're at, at heart, we're, our, we're troublemakers. <laughs> yes. I, I would agree with that. Oh, that's so fun. But is, isn't that great that you get exposed to the reality of business at that, you know, kind of a younger age and you say, oh, well, this isn't <laughs> as glamorous as I thought it was. And I think that my observation of how you've come up through your dad's company through SunFast and all the different responsibilities that you've had your hands in, you've done so many different things. And I love where you sit right now as far as being a leader and looking at uh, uh, the way the, the future of the business can be. And that's a very creative thing. So tell me a little bit about when you first, and this was, I think, started, I started kind of noticing you doing this about maybe two, three years ago. It might have been a little longer, <laughs> my memory is, when you started expanding and bringing in more types of products into your product line and really expanding what originally was, you know, two generations of we're staying with nuts and bolts, we're staying with nuts and bolts, right? But the industry changed. So talk a little bit about that shift and what you were noticing and what decisions you were making about how can I be creative and take advantage of this? Well, as, uh, as I matured uh, as a man, uh, I had seen and experienced a lot of things. I worked with a lot of people. Um, and the more involved I became with an outside role in developing my client base, uh, we just found that there were more opportunities for us to apply our business model across a lot of different spectrums. And so it's really, um, as you come through the ranks, as you learn a lot about people, as you learn a lot about business function, uh, you wear a lot of different lenses. 
-hmm. so that you're able to see things that maybe you weren't able to see before. And that also is influenced by the people that you surround yourself with as well. They all wear different lenses and they actually allow you to open up your mind a little bit more for opportunities that sit outside the, the river banks that may have been previously established by previous generations of the company. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, I want to point that out to the listener. This is something that I actually have to do deliberately is to force myself to have an open mind because I get locked in my way of thinking so much about this is the right way to do marketing or this is the right way to write copy or this is the right way to, to build a strategy for a solopreneur business. And I find that when I have conversations, even on this show with other guests, other solopreneurs who are doing something innovative that perhaps I might not have thought of, I get so inspired to bring more creativity and try different things. So I think that, Paul, you just hit on something really important, and that is having that open mind. And you're right. It does come with exposure to other people, uh, listening to what your clients are asking for and your customers really want, not just from product standpoint, but how they want to be served. So talk to me, give me some examples of maybe some things where you brought in creativity to find a solution for one of your clients that actually got you business. Well, one of our large clients, uh, we we had just brought them on um, and we decided that we were going to take a a creative approach out of the gate with them. And and they were into large scale production of uh, pressure washers and generators. And we sat in a room with a group of engineers from their company, and they had probably 10 different models of different pressure washers and generators. And they just sat there across the table from us and said, okay, go. Really? Wow. And um, so I got up from the table, I went over to their units, started looking at the units, and I said, what is your objective here? And they said, there's got to be ways that we can reduce costs on these items. And we'd like for you guys to take a look at that based on your existing fastener package, um, based on the items that you currently supply us, how would you streamline production or how would you give us some cost savings opportunities? And so it was kind of a daunting task when you're looking at 10 different models. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a big ask. Yeah. You're looking at 10 different models of units that you've never really worked with before. However, I was a child of the Lego generation. Yeah. And so I got an opportunity to play with adult Legos. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) And that's kind of the way I look at a lot of things is, you know, let's take it apart and put it back together better than the first time. Yeah. And uh, we found some opportunities to consolidate some applications where we could increase volume on a couple of parts. Uh, With increased volume comes reduced costs. It also allows them to put the same product on multiple places in the line. And um, as we started to go through model by model, it it became simpler and simpler. Like this is what they're looking for, not necessarily by widget, but the overall approach to taking something apart and putting it back together strategically Mm -hmm. and using the things that we know the best in order to make their product better. And that became part of the expectation of our customer service, not just with them, but it kind of transcended to our other customers. They wanted in on this re-engineering design and development support. 
And it was something that I found real joy and passion in mm-hmm. uh, was, you know, these engineers are working with a multi-billion dollar international company and they want my advice. Wow. They want my input. And so the more I matured into my, into my role with them and with other customers, uh, the more I found that this was something I needed to dive headfirst into. Yeah. That, you know, if we're going to separate ourselves from the competitors, we've got to be over involved in making business better. And this was just one of the ways that we did it. And of course, you know, fast forward to 13 years later from that customer, we are their sole provider of faster hardware in North America. That's awesome. And we were told it's never going to happen. We're never going to make the decision to consolidate hardware to one supplier. But trust has an intrinsic value Mm. and it's built and it appreciates over time. So the more consistent that we were with how we were developing their applications, the more we sat in on new design development on the front side, the more we became integral to their process. And that's my end game is I want to be integrated with your process as a supplier to look at things from, I don't want to necessarily say an an omniscient point of view, right? but maybe just somebody who steps back and can look at that scaled view objectively. Somebody who really doesn't have internal skin in the game. Yeah, or maybe this, you know, kind of like burden of this engineering degree and all this scientific stuff that takes it down a a crazy path. You know, I I think that that, piece of paper can be a load of bricks. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. But I love that. I think that the the value, my sense is the value that you're uh, you're giving to them is something you, you said it already. Objectivity is one. And two, you're bringing a lot of experience working with these Lego parts, so to speak, right? right. where you've seen other customers do certain applications. You're bringing that knowledge into the game. You're also seeing other things as far as what what's being done in the industry, as well as maybe some people that you want to get more business of that, you know, what they're struggling with. So you're bringing in all of this knowledge from your exposure with prospects and other customers, as well as industry stuff, and then your own objectivity. And that just gets richer and richer and richer as you age and get more of that experience. So it's like a mastermind. You know, the more people that come in, the the more powerful the mastermind is. Yes. And, and you're bringing that mastermind uh, through the work that you do. And what I'd love for you to, because I, I, I love helping my solopreneur listeners with uh, sales in any way I can. And one of the things that I think you're incredibly creative in is how you approach the sales conversation. So once you get a prospective uh, client that you're sitting across the table from and they're saying, okay, go, <laughs> like the one you just talked about, walk me through the the thinking you have, the attitude and approach you have coming into that and how you have that conversation. Well, typically, uh, you know, any of your Carnegie sales training is going to say, you need an icebreaker. My icebreaker is what sucks about your job. Uh, nice. And most times you're not sitting across from a nut and bolt guy who's really genuinely concerned about what sucks about your job. <laughs> but when you have, 
I want to say it's a vested interest on the front side because, you know, because we all work with people, we have to be empathetic. Yeah. They say, look, because everything you do is touched and handled by people, whether it be your own employees or whether it be your suppliers or your clients or whatever, uh, we have to understand those people are going to make mistakes. Those people are going to have their own approach to business. Those people are going to have their own ideas about what they want to do. And so you have to be, like I said, empathetic and understand that their decisions on a daily basis are being impacted by the fallout of human interaction. Hmm. And so when we touch on that, when we say, what sucks about your job? Sometimes it gets them involved in a conversation that's very personal, very emotional and stressful. And, and sometimes there's a solution waiting to be found in that personal connection. And once the personal connection is established, and if you can establish that out of the gate, then everything else that comes from a technical standpoint, from a business standpoint, from an order standpoint, is just a bonus to what you really do, what you're really there for, which is to understand why they sit in that seat every day. Mm-hmm. And if that there is some direct or indirect solution that you can provide to their problems, their issues, um, then you've established a connection that's going to last. And so that first icebreaker question of what sucks about your job will ultimately lead to a second conversation about something more business focused. Right. Right. And so just listening to them while they speak, um, you can kind of pull out of them something that maybe they were unwilling to share with somebody else. Mm-hmm. But you've got to show uh, that you're genuinely interested in solving that problem. And so networking has become such a, a, a prevalent role in everything that I do from a business standpoint, because if I'm the glory part of being an ADHD is that I can have a direct conversation with somebody I'm really connecting with, and I can listen to three other conversations and identify problems three cubes down. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's my squirrel, so to speak. Yeah, that's a good squirrel. That's a squirrel you put to right. work, though. <laughs> Terry will be right back with the rest of the show in just a moment. I challenge you to be more creative in your business, to innovate, to simplify. But if you're thinking, I'm not creative, or I don't have time to brainstorm ideas, or even my business is just fine the way it is, well, I'm going to challenge those assumptions because they will kill your profitability. They're all stories and excuses preventing your business from being better, from running smarter, from being more satisfying and fulfilling for you. Wouldn't it be great if your brand, products, and processes were able to do more? To resonate with your target clients more effectively? To be a more personal experience for existing clients? To become relevant again instead of stale and dated? Yeah, I thought so. So if you'd like to pump some vitality back into your business using creativity, innovation, and simplification, book a free creativity call with me by visiting pappychat.com. Give your business the battery jump it needs to provide more stability and profitability. Get your free creativity call on the calendar now by visiting P-A-P-P-Y-C-H-A-T.com. Let's you and I brainstorm something amazing for you and your business. Well, can you give an example of of a a situation where you had one of these empathetic conversations that led to a, a really nice breakthrough and good relationship? Well, I was working with a customer and she uh, she 
is wearing 50 hats like the rest mm-hmm. of us, you know, since, since 2008, 2009, everybody moved into this lean, uh, manufacturing lean operations mentality. And it's kind of just stuck with us in a lot of ways to where most people will be overworked, um, underappreciated and, you know, stressed out. And so I connected with this customer on that level and said, you know, if, if there's a way that we can help you look at supply chain, and we can pull some of those weak links out of that supply chain. Look at the items that they provide you and uh, figure out a better way to do that. Um, then I can step out of the way and make that connection for you. So I, I, I'm working with a ton of great professionals in the upstate where this customer consistently had issues with plastic bags and stretch film. Mm-hmm. And she was having very tough time controlling her inventory, controlling her supplier, controlling her price points. And so we stepped in and said, look, there's going to be a higher price point, but we're going to do this for a short period of time. And so in this short period of time, say three months, we're going to take over this portion of the supply chain and then we're going to pass you off. So once we've solved your problem, we're going to put you in front of a direct relationship that's going to take care of you going forward. And we did that and we were pretty successful. We had a couple of uh, chinks in the armor um, that we didn't plan for. Mm-hmm. And that never happens in business, you know? No, not um, at all, ever. I've never heard of that, actually. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, this being completely new to all of us. Yes, of course. Um, we ran the program for three months and brought some really good product in, but we also brought in the supplier. And said, you know, this is somebody that you need to be in front of because going forward, we're not going to be the guy. This is not a long-term solution for us because it doesn't fit what we do well. And so we don't want to give her a higher price point on XYZ items uh, for an extended period of time because it's counterproductive. It's not what she's hired to do. She's hired to control price. And so... Uh, at the end of that three-month period, we had developed a strong relationship with the outside supplier and transitioned that supplier in place, and they're still there today. And that's five years that they've uh, been working that program, and it's tr- it's helped them tremendously. Uh, they've got a great relationship, and now this supplier is controlling uh, their supply chain for these consumable items. And I'm sure it's it's leaked out into other portions of that customer's business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the day, we presented an indirect solution out of a direct solution. And that uh, that's just kind of lasted over time. We want to be able to repeat that with other clients because it's interesting to me that there's a lot of competitors that I have that will try and consume business and hang on to business even when it doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, and that's not what we're about. At, when I look back on my life in SunFast, my legacy is not going to be based on the widgets that I sold. It's going to be based on the reputation that we've built for being somebody who is interested in making business better. Wow. And that's more that's important powerful. to me than anything else. <laughs> And I'm a marketer, and I don't think I could write a better uh, <laughs> a better piece of copy than that, Paul. So I may actually steal that and kind of like model it for some of my work. <laughs> my guess. It's an epistic environment, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Our new word. And I, I, this is why I wanted to have you on this season, because 
the way you approach and the way you think about business engagements is so innovative and very creative. And I think it, it it's driven by your heart and your true compassion for other people. And the fact that you've mentioned and talked a lot about human beings and people and relationships, that just further reinforces, you know, my understanding of, of where you're coming from. And I think that right there in and of itself, if you have a way of showing up to a prospect or even an existing customer you've had for years and letting them know that you're there for them to make, as you say, their business better and not look at it as a transaction. And I want my listener to pay particular attention to this because as solopreneurs, we spend a lot of time selling our widget, which is a speech, a, a service, a course online, a webinar, a blah, blah package, or whatever that is. And we lose sight of the relationship. Now, when you're in a service type business, it's easy to do that because the service is sort of an intangible in many ways, and it's hard to quantify. However, there's even bigger opportunities for solopreneurs to work directly with their clients and work at a strategic level. And Paul, what you said about <laughs> what is it about your job that sucks? <laughs> I think that's like a great way to, to start a conversation, you know? And like for me, I could get on with a prospective solopreneur and say, what is it about your marketing that sucks? And boy, they'll just go and go and go. And I, I might just start doing that because <laughs> sometimes it takes me a while to, to get going with my with my ask of like getting right to the problem. And I know it's uh, it's it's a great way to get that conversation going. And but what I love about what you're doing is you are focused on bigger picture. What impacts for that person like the story you just shared? You know, that woman was responsible for cost. Right. You said pricing. Of course, that's yeah. the number one goal. Yeah, so you knew her 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 lever, right? So you knew what her lever was, and you knew that that was the gateway drug for you to find a solution that was going to make her life better and, and as a whole, the business run better. And I think when you have that approach, whether or not you're qualified to go in and analyze their whole supply chain and understand their business at a level they understand, of course not. But you're coming in with that fresh perspective with everything I mentioned earlier about all your experience, all your knowledge, all the exposure you've had to other businesses. And you're saying, what if we tried this? Or why don't we focus on this area, making that easier for you? And then we'll deal with all this other stuff. And I think that that's what people really want. They want an easy button for their problem. They want to be able to just hit something and say, okay, problem solved. And when you're the, the one in the jar and you can't read the label, you can't see it the way someone whose objective is. So for my solopreneur listener, see where in your business that you could possibly come in more strategically, more big picture for your clients. So you're actually helping them with their business as opposed to just delivering one aspect of a transaction or selling one product because you'll have a much longer relationship with them. And over time, you'll there'll be a great referral for you and you'll get more wallet share from them over time. And it's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. And um, when you hit them with a question like that, uh, they're, they're being asked to talk about something that number one, they're not supposed to talk about. Mm. Number two, that they're not comfortable talking about. Yeah. And so you have to make the environment comfortable for them. 
And so when we're talking about the plastic bags and wraps, it wasn't, you know, initially when you say, well, look, your price is going to be higher for this amount of time, that's uncomfortable to talk about. Well, when you look at why you're sitting in that exchange in the first place, they trust you, they trust your service model to say, okay, the cost impact is X for 90 days, but I trust SunFast. And if SunVast can deliver the way they say they can deliver using this supplier, and then they introduce me to this supplier, there's already some adoptable trust there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when you're approaching it from the standpoint of, hey, if we all team up together, we can make this better, as opposed to, yes. I want that piece of the pie, and I'm not going to work with anybody else. And, you know, because you kind of have that competitive, you know, about, about the conversation, and you're not like that at all. Those who like so too focused. much pie will eventually have no pie. <laughs> yeah. And really big bellies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to talk to you also from the standpoint of creativity. And when you have a situation where you go in and meet with a customer and they're maybe doing something with an existing set of parts or manufacturing something unique and, <clears throat> excuse me, and there you see right away where you can make that better and you go back to your team and back to your you know office and you guys get together and try to solution it can you give me an example of where you might have done that with your people inside we do that on a regular basis it seems uh, we've got a lot of customer base that's got international reachings and um just the the difference in cultures between here and overseas, uh, mm -hmm. the way we do business in the States versus internationally, uh, you have to really be able to be a chameleon and kind of blend into both environments. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the transition from overseas to here is just culturally completely different. Oh, yeah. And so we're trying to make those two kind of meld together as best we can. And so when we speak to our customers about our international relationships and and lead times and, and price structures, um, you always have to be considerate of the fact that they that they know what you know, because they're they're also working with international subsidiaries. Mm -hmm. um, you can't ever assume that somebody is ignorant. So you have to do your homework at, at, at every turn. And I'm only one guy. I've got my set of experiences. But I've got a team of people that have come from different companies, different walks of life, uh, different backgrounds, and each one of those people brings strengths to the table that are so critical to the thought process that goes into our approach to customer satisfaction. So when we're dealing with any example, and again, this is this is kind of you know a broad brush. But we will have group meetings. We'll come in and huddle together. Okay, we'll present the problem. And then I'll give everybody an opportunity to put their two cents into the discussion and say, how do we solve this? And so uh, without giving a specific example, we do this constantly. It's mm. part of our process approach is that, number one, you establish your employees' worth within themselves by inviting them the opportunity to speak into a situation. Mm -hmm. It means that their their knowledge, their experience, and their their point of view are important. And 
that has to be applied to every person that we come into contact with, whether it be suppliers or customers or logistics or our own team. Right. Uh, it's a, a huge management tool to bring out the best in your people. And the way you do that is by engaging them to participate in solving problems for your customers. Yeah. And, and I also wanted to point out that uh, because I've heard you give these examples uh, over the years, you've created a, a powerful network uh, through the not only the other businesses that you've you know done work with, but just people in your network organization, your networking organization, and and who you've met over the years. And you won't hesitate for one minute to reach out to those people if you think they can bring in their expertise to help you guys solve a problem. And I think that that's huge, that you, first of all, have that open mind to do that to begin with, but also that you're willing to share the the burden of solving that problem. Like you'll go to any length to solve that problem for your customer. Absolutely. Because um, again, outside of my employee team is my networking team. My networking team is the, is the engine that I use to kind of push my brand out into the community and, mm -hmm. and give, give myself an opportunity to demonstrate to them that I'm worthy of trust, that uh, I'm a person of integrity, and that when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And I don't say it unless I mean it. Yeah. And so, again, that I, I thank God that my dad pushed that into me day <laughs> in, day out growing yeah. up. Uh, that, you know, you're only as good as your word. And the second you decide to betray that word, you will work tirelessly for the rest of your life to recover from that. Yeah. And I've seen the damage that it's done to people over the years of as soon as you say, yes, this is what I can do. And your yes doesn't mean yes. Mm. Uh, the, the damage is incredible. Yeah. And so I, I do everything in my power to steer clear of those opportunities to, to step in crap, so to speak, because <laughs> yeah. um, there are so many opportunities to do it. Yeah. Um, but the, the people that I network with in professional network connections, um, those people are all vetted before they come and sit at the table. Mm -hmm. And so they go through a process the way we all do of qualification. What are your qualifications to be a part of what we're doing at Professional Network Connections? And so when, when they go through that, that process and become part of the team, there's already an understanding that we want to achieve at a high level what other networking groups are not, what other working professionals are not. And the only way we do that is by going directly to the problem and not beating around the bush or using some sales model in order to do that. Mm. Yeah, that's unique. And and for my solopreneur listener, this is really valuable for us as solopreneurs because we live in a very lonely <laughs> business. You know, a lot of us are working from home or we're on the road a lot. And having a professional network that we're constantly expanding and pulling from, like Paul is with his, uh, is, is huge value to the work we're doing. And finding the right people that you can rely on is hugely important. I know I've done this more intentionally in the last uh, two years, maybe three years in my business, because I want to provide a, a wider offering of solutions. I want to be that solution provider that you've done so well at, at creating uh, your own brand of being a solution provider, uh, a true solution provider, <laughs> because of the way you go at it, Paul. And I think that that's really 
important for a solo to understand as well as it is for any business to understand that. So uh, any last words on what you can say about how you're inviting creativity into your business, how you're looking at different ways to innovate, to transform your business, even beyond the great work that you've done so far? Well, uh, not to beat a dead horse, but this coronavirus uh, came about uh, earlier this year. We didn't know what it was all about when it started infecting people in January and then February and then March. It got real bad. And um, we were presented an opportunity through one of our abrasive suppliers to uh, sell medical PPE. And uh, I, I'm connected with so many people that are with Prisma and Bon Secours and all the, all the hospital systems in South Carolina, all of a sudden this PPE thing grew in its, uh, I guess you kind of picture a snowball rolling down a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then all of a sudden it hit at the bottom and exploded and nobody has PPE. The cases are blowing up out of control with the, the frontline responders, nurses, mm -hmm. doctors, private practice places. And, and, the need was there. Right. And and out of almost the blue, an abrasive supplier has approached us as being a distributor for the medical PPE. Their factory transitioned its machinery to produce medical PPE. Hmm. And the more need we satisfied with just the two items that they were able to provide us, we started turning over rocks to find nitrile gloves, face shields, gowns. Uh, head covers, shoe covers, and started a GoFundMe page to just bring awareness to the lack of PPE, not only just in the upstate, but everywhere. Right. Um, and we said, we're going to dive into this thing because our business model fits facilitating need, whether it's nuts and bolts or whether it's medical PPE, we're going to use our resources to satisfy the current need because our, our existing client base 70% of them aren't working. Mm. And so what do we do as essential employees to continue on our business model and keep our presence in the community? Mm -hmm. So you have to talk to customers, your existing customer base. Uh, they all of a sudden will need PPE because they need masks to go out in public. They need gloves right. to handle stuff. And so customers that may not be doing much still have a need. Yeah. So I'm staying in touch with my customer base. We're developing uh, a brand in this community of somebody who responds when somebody calls out. Yeah. And we've been able to find just every resource that we need to find every product that our customers have needed, even new customers, people in the community that don't own businesses. They're just mm. scared. Yeah. Uh, they've come to us to try and uh, figure out a way to protect themselves. And, and we're doing that. Um, we're a nut and bolt house that is now a medical supplier and there, we're not alone in that. There are a lot of companies out there that have just transitioned their entire business to help people. Yeah. And I think that if we have to take one thing away from this entire coronavirus situation is that we need to be more aware of the need of human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have to be interested in that. And even if we're not talking about business, we're talking about we're not supposed to be solitary creatures. 
Right. We're supposed to engage with the people around us. We're social beings. Mm-hmm. And we need to be more focused on being kind to people and being interested in what's going on in their lives. And I think if I have to send any message to a solopreneur out there is that it doesn't matter what you do for a living. We are in the business of selling relationships. Mm. And so if you focus on developing, nurturing, cultivating relationships and using those relationships to leverage business, great. That's what networking is. It's what real networking is. Anybody can go and pass business cards, uh, you know, at a swap. You know, your BNIs and stuff like that, where you just pass cards, pass information. There's no real there's no real depth to it. Right. But when you start to work your relationships and then you say, you know what, I will walk you in the door to this place because I trust you and automatically there will be trust. Right. And that's the level we need to be interested in pursuing our relationships. Otherwise, they're they're extraneous. If you're not willing to put 100% of yourself into a relationship, then don't bother. There yeah, that's really something you're trying to hide. Yeah, and, and I, I love that. And it really is a, a distinct way to look at the work you do. And a lot of us are at the just the, I don't, I don't want to make light of it. I mean, the business that a solopreneur has where they're, they're selling their expertise in, in many different ways. But when you take it to that next level where you're really looking out for that customer, that other person, the other human being, and trying to find ways to, uh, you know, just make their life better. And I think that that not only can give you more satisfaction and fulfillment with the work that you do, but you're actually leveraging your expertise and your capabilities and your network in a way that can get that person into a better situation faster. And that's that's a whole different way to look at the business, whether you're solo or whether you're a, a Fortune 100 company and how you solve problems. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome, Paul. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for talking so much about just your attitude and approach around relationships, about being creative, helping really be a problem solver for your customers and your clients and making a difference in the choices that you make as a business. And it's a business with heart for sure. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, I love you a bunch and I'm going to have you back on another episode. (laughs) I love you too. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. You know, being a solo can be incredibly rewarding when you have the right guidance, resources, and community to help drive your business vision. The great news is that's exactly what you'll get with Simplify and Multiply. You've just listened to another episode of the Simplify and Multiply show with Terry Pappy. If you want to get free marketing and business development tips, templates, trainings, and more, head over to simplifyandmultiply.com and sign up. Learn how you can grow your business the easy way. That's simplifyandmultiply.com to join our growing community of amazing, talented solopreneurs out to simplify their business, multiply their income, and make a big impact in the solopreneur economy.